Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. For the past few weeks, the most talked about song has been a single that features the familiar voices of two best-selling artists, Drake and The Weeknd. Now, the song quickly showed up on all music streaming platforms like Apple Music, YouTube, Spotify, even TikTok, and it gathered over 11 million views in just a few short days. The song was anything anyone was talking about, but not for the reason that you might expect. You see, just 11 days after it was released, the song was quickly pulled from every streaming platform because of one little issue. Drake and The Weeknd had nothing to do with the song. They did not write the song, they had never heard it before, and they certainly were not the ones singing the lyrics. Rather, the song had been uploaded by an anonymous artist who had simply generated it with AI, artificial intelligence, which was a shocking discovery because A, the song sounds eerily similar to Drake and The Weeknd's voices, and I, or should I say B, this highlights for our society just how difficult it will be in the future to decipher fake from the truth. One emerging tech tweeted this, he said this, the results of music AI will blow your mind. You're going to be listening to songs that are completely indistinguishable. You will not know if it's your favorite artist or not. So when this controversy was discovered, it polarized, polarized the population. Because while some people are ready to embrace the idea of replica artists, some are left questioning when and how the lines should be drawn. The reality is it is getting harder and harder to spot fakes because they are eerily similar to the real thing, almost identical. There's a story in the Bible about a guy named King Solomon, and he's faced with an impossible situation where he's forced to spot the fake. Now, King Solomon is the third king for the Israelites. Those are God's people. It's the third king that they had ever had. A long time ago, before Solomon was born, the Israelites did not have a king because they had God. And God had promised them, I'll be your leader, you be my people. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to protect you. All I'm going to ask is that you be obedient to me. And so that's exactly what God did for them. He provided for them. He protected them. He rescued them. God was faithful to them. But see, the people of Israel, they noticed something. They noticed that the nations around them all had these real-life Kings, kings who sat on thrones, kings who wore robes, kings who rode horses, kings who led their people into battle. And so the people of Israel started to grumble. They started to complain, we need a king, give us a king. And God responded, I'm your king. A king is going to take advantage of you. 
He's going to charge you taxes. He's going to force you to be his subjects. A king is going to send you off to war. Kings are going to take your wives. They're going to make your children serve them. Let me be your king. I'll give you everything that you need. But the Israelites, they continued with their whining. No, we want an earthly king, someone we can dress up, someone that every other nation is going to tremble at and be fearful of. And so God, loving his people, gives them what they requested. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes God gives us what we're asking for, even though it's not necessarily good for us. God decides to raise up a guy named Saul. Now, Saul is impressive. The Bible says he is tall and he is handsome. He looks just like a king might. And then God does something amazing. God sends the Holy Spirit to Saul so that Saul might successfully lead God's people. It's incredible. So after God has decided that Saul is going to be the king, the prophet goes to the people and he announces, this is Saul. He is the king that God has chosen for you. And the people respond, they roar, long live King Saul. And for a while, things go really, really well until they don't. And soon we discover that Saul is terrible at being a king. It goes to his head. He becomes a tyrant. He's completely disobedient to God. He's ignorant of the Holy Spirit. He's raging at, he's oppressing the people. And so God decides he's going to raise up another king. And this time God chooses a shepherd boy named David. And the Bible tells us that God chooses David because David has a heart that chases after God. David has a heart that wants to obey God. And so through this incredible turn of events, God takes the throne away from Saul and he gives it to David. But even though David loves God, David also loves sin. And he makes some very big, epic mistakes in his life. Yet David's heart, the Bible says, continues to remain soft to God. Because when God comes to him and shows him his disobedience, David chooses repentance. And David returns to obedience over and over again. And he continues to serve God the rest of his life, even though his kingship is incredibly messy. And so when David dies, his son Solomon now becomes the king. And so scholars believe that Solomon was about the age of 20 when he became king of Israel, young. I'm sure when 20-year-old King Solomon ascended the throne, the Israelites might have been a tad bit nervous. See, they had just lived through the brutal, harsh reign of King Saul and followed by that messy rule and reign of King David, whose love of sin had caused a lot of problems for the people of Israel. So I can imagine, I can picture the crowd, the moment that that crown is placed on Solomon's head. I'm sure somebody must have mumbled, here we go again, waiting for that first mistake to happen. But they're about to be schooled because we're given an account in 1 Kings 3 of Solomon's first ruling as a king. And let me tell you, it's a wild story. The story goes like this. Two women come to King Solomon. He's newly been crowned. This is the first time we have a record of what he does. And they want him to rule on a disagreement that they have been having. It goes like this. Please, Lord, please, my Lord, one of them began. This woman and I, there's two women there. This woman and I live in the same house. I gave birth to a baby while she was with me in the house. 
Three days later, this woman also gave birth to a baby. We were alone, and there were only two of us in the house. And then she goes on to explain that the other woman's baby had unfortunately died in the night. And when that mother had noticed that her child had died, she came and she switched her baby with mine. And when I woke up, the baby that I was holding was dead. At first I was overcome with grief, but then I quickly noticed that this was not my son. And then I realized what she had done. She had took our babies and she had switched them. Well, at this point, the other woman interjects at King Solomon and says, she is lying. This baby that is living is my son. So see, there's an impossible problem for King Solomon to solve. He wasn't in the house when those babies were born. In fact, no one was at the house at the time. There's no evidence. There's no witnesses. There's no one to tell us where the true information is in this scenario. What a test for his leadership on display for all of Israel to watch how he's going to do it. But what King Solomon does next, I think, would have silenced all of his doubters who may have been wondering what type of king he would be. The Bible says King Solomon addresses the woman and he confirms the story. Let's get the facts straight, he says. Both of you claim that this living child is yours and each of you says the one who is dead does not belong to you. Is that correct? Yes, King Solomon, they both reply. She is lying, pointing at each other. I can imagine Solomon probably pauses for a moment before speaking. He looks between the two of them. As a leader, I would guess he probably has compassion for both of them because they're both suffering. One of them is a grieving mother who has lost her son, and the other is a distraught mother who is living with the reality that she might lose her child. He probably looks at that baby's face. He probably looks at the mother's face, trying to decide if there's any familial resemblance that he can go off of. And when he isn't able to do that, King Solomon instructs his servants, very well, bring me a sword. And when a sword was brought to King Solomon, he instructed, cut this living baby in two, give half his body to this woman and half his body to the other. And as he says that, King Solomon watches as panic spreads across one of the woman's faces because the Bible says she loved that baby very much. And so that woman who loved the baby cries out, oh no, my king, give her the child. Please do not kill him. But we read that the other woman says of King Solomon's verdict, all right, he will be neither yours nor mine. Divide him between the two of us. Well, it's at this point that King Solomon recognizes who the true mother is. And he says, do not kill the child, but instead give him to the woman who wants him to live. For I am confident that she is his mother. And the story goes on to say that all of Israel hears about King Solomon's decision and his ruling, and they are in awe of their new king. It's an impressive story. How did a 20-year-old man figure out who the true mother was in this situation. Today I'm gonna to highlight three things that helped King Solomon discern truth, and I think it's gonna help us learn how to discern truth and spot fakes within our lives. The first is this, how to spot a fake. Know the truth. Number one, know the truth. One of my first jobs 
I was 15 years old, and at 15 years old in my town, you could get a job, but you couldn't get all sorts of jobs. Like, there were certain specific jobs you could get when you were 15. So one of my first jobs when I was 15 was I got hired on by a grocery store. I don't know if you remember Zayers back in the day. Zayers, the grocery store. Um, and I got hired on, and my job was to push carts through the parking lot to collect the carts. I developed a lot of theories. Like, I have a theory that if you, you're able to and you don't return your carts in a parking lot, like, I have a theory about you. But anyways, that's for, that's for a different lesson. We won't talk about that. Anyways, I hated this job. I hated it. It was brutal all the time. In the summer, you were hot, you were sweaty. It was awful. In the winter, you were cold, it was slushy. It was a terrible job. I couldn't wait until I turned 16 because at 16 years old, they would let you train to be a cashier, and that was my dream. My dream was to be a cashier, to stand in that little booth, to talk to people all day long. I was very excited about being a cashier. So I turned 16, they said, yes, we'll train you to be a cashier. Started my training. Two very important things I remember about my training. The first thing, they hand you a big binder full of codes. I still remember some of them, 4011 bananas, 4016 red delicious. Um, so you have to memorize a whole book, hundreds of codes, and you have to take a test, and once you pass the test, they let you be a cashier. The second thing is they train you how to spot fake money. Because in the early 2000s, grocery stores were losing tons of money because of fake money. And so what they did was they actually gave us real money and they taught us what it feels like. They taught us to look for certain things. That's how they helped us learn how to spot fake money because their thoughts was, if we had held the truth enough times, if we had held that true bill enough times, when we held a fake bill, we would recognize that it was fake. Because the easiest way to spot a fake is to know the true thing. We see this play out in how King Solomon issues his verdict. He did not know much information, but there was something that he did know. He knew the qualities of a parent towards their child. So instead of figuring out who the fake mother of this baby was, he simply tried to figure out who the true mother was. See, King Solomon knew that the true mother would lay down her own needs for this baby. The real mother would give up her ability to have her son, if it meant that he could live. I want you to look at these two responses. The first woman says, my king, give her the living baby, but please do not have him killed. The second woman says, he will not be mine or yours. Cut him in two. See, the first response is motivated by love. She loves this baby. She'll give anything for this baby. The second response, well, it's motivated by want. This grieving mother wants this baby. Friends, the truth is always motivated by love, and fake is usually motivated by someone's want. If you're having a hard time identifying what is true and what is fake information in your life, look for the option that is motivated by love. Let me give you an example. We have three children. Um, they are six, eight, and ten. And you know what? They love each other, but they also fight a lot. And so there's disagreements in our house every day. Someone's even on the way here, someone was touching somebody in the car and someone's touching someone's thing and someone had a pencil and they didn't bring a pencil. They're fighting. They fight about everything. And so there's usually, I found, one victim in the scenario 
one culprit in the scenario. And one of the kids, because we have three, knows the information. And so as parents, it's our job to figure out which one of those children actually knows the truth. And it, it varies, like not one kid's always, it varies. So we're always trying to figure out who out of the three is telling us the right information because then we're gonna be able to weigh in on what is actually happening. You know what? I found that applying this truth, this love versus want, really, really helps in this scenario. Because when we figure out what child's heart is bending towards one of their siblings, rather than the other one that's trying to self-protect themselves, we can usually discover who is telling the truth in the scenario. So the first thing that we need to do when we're looking to spot fake information is we need to know the truth. And we can do this by asking a simple question. What do I know to be true? It might not be a lot. It might be one or two things, like King Solomon. He didn't know anything that was going on in the house, but he did know what a true parent was like. The next thing you want to do is you want to recognize your blind spots. Friends, we all have blind spots. We just need to admit that. There's things that we do not know. We are not perfect. We have blind spots. Two weeks ago, our vehicle died. Now, we weren't very surprised <laughs> because this vehicle was a special vehicle. It was my favorite vehicle. It was a very old Ford Escape. And it only had th three out of the five gears, so you would have to help it. It's like, it was not a standard, it was an automatic. But you had to help it get into a different gear. So this, this car was old, we knew it was dying. We shouldn't have been surprised, but I was so sad when it died. I'll tell you why, I don't know if you know this. It's a terrible time to buy a car in today's society because there's a lack of inventory, there's inflated prices, so you can imagine how happy we were to be purchasing a car a couple of weeks ago. But thankfully, we found one. And so the first day, I was driving into work, and I noticed that there were some flashing lights on my side mirror. I don't know if your cars have this, probably, because you probably drive newer cars than we did. But there was these flashing car lights on this mirror, and I didn't know at first what it was, but then I realized it was a blind spot light. These lights will flash on my car any time anything is in that spot where I cannot see, which is brilliant because we all have blind spots, the places in our peripheral vision that we simply cannot see. In life, I like to call these types of blind spots fake news traps. You know what I mean. False information that seems so logical that it often makes it into the truth column of our lives. Let me, let me show you what I mean. I have four fake news traps I want to talk to you about today. The first is echo chambers. Now, echo chambers are built when voices that we're reading or listening to continually confirm the same values or biases that we already hold. Social media is genius at this. They create algorithms to feed you information to make you feel good about what you already believe. Because if you feel good about what you're reading and what you're listening to on social media, what will you do? You'll continue to visit the app. You'll continue to scroll through. You'll continue to click on their things. To help you understand what I'm talking about, I want to show you a clip of a conversation between David Letterman and President Barack Obama as they discuss the credibility of social media as a source for true information. Let's take a look. I was under the impression that, that Twitter would be the mechanism by which truth was told around the world. <laughs> if, if, if you are getting all your information off algorithms being sent through a phone, uh, 
And it is just reinforcing whatever biases you have, which is the, the pattern uh, that develops. There, there was an interesting experiment, not a big scientific experiment, but just an experiment that somebody did during the revolution that was taking place in Egypt, in Tahrir Square. Somebody took sort of a liberal, a conservative, and quote-unquote quote moderate, and sent them on a Google search, Egypt, type it in. And for the uh, conservative, it came up, you know, Muslim Brotherhood. And for the liberal, it came up Tahrir Square. And for the moderate, it came up vacation spots on the Nile. <laughs> um, but whatever your biases were, that's what, where you were being sent. And, and that gets more and more reinforced over time. That's what's happening with these Facebook pages where more and more people are getting their news from. At a certain point, you just live in a bubble what eventually ends up happening is these algorithms build echo chambers within our lives, echo chambers around us, so that we become more and more settled on a thought as the truth, even if it's fake news, simply because we have heard it confirmed so many times by the voices that we are tuned into and listening to. The second fake news trap I want to identify today is called devouring wolves. I made these words up, devouring wolves. Friends, this fake news trap is dangerous. It's deadly. It can cost you your soul. Jesus warned us that deception would be prevalent in what he called the last days, which are simply the days that are prior to when Jesus comes back for his followers. And we're living in those days right now. Jesus warned that there would be wolves who would be dressed up in sheep's clothing. And these wolves would be so powerful and so believable that even Jesus' followers could be deceived. The Bible calls Satan out for who he is. He says that, the Bible says that Satan is a lion that prowls around looking for those that he can deceive and devour. 2 Corinthians 11 teaches us that Satan can transform himself into what looks like an angel of light so that what he says and what he does can seem as if it's from God. In Exodus, when God sends Moses to free his people from slavery, God grants Moses the ability to perform miracles and signs that will showcase God's power. And what we read is that Pharaoh's sorcerers, not working in God's power, were able to perform also miraculous signs and tricks, which enchanted the crowds and caused people to doubt the power of God. Friends, the truth is that miracles and powers do not always come from God. Satan can use these things to trick us and deceive us. Devouring wolves is a trick that Satan has used since the beginning of time. And he does it so that we'll falsely put our faith in the miracle, in the sign, in what we want, and not in God, the creator, the sustainer, and the giver giver of life. This is why it's so important that we test out claims, we test out prophecies, we test out predictions. First John 4 cautions us, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. Friends, a simple test is that if a prophecy does not come true, or a miracle doesn't point other people 
to Jesus, then it's not from God. If it doesn't come true, or if it doesn't point somebody to Jesus, it's simply not from God. The third fake news trap is public opinion. Now, this one is so prevalent in our society because everyone is an expert, or everyone can be an expert with a simple 10-minute Google search. There has never been more information available at our fingertips, and there has never been more misinformation guiding our decisions. We live in a day where a non-expert's opinions sometimes holds more weight than decades of research and learning. There's also a phenomenon that I see currently sweeping in our culture whereby the loudest voices gain the most attention, and as a result, many people believe that they hold the truth. But that trick has been happening since the beginning of time. See, when Jesus was in front of the court and found to not be guilty, a few strategically placed voices within the crowd screaming, crucify him. What happens is within minutes of hearing the loud shouts, that hesitant crowd was convinced to join in the voices and demand the crucifixion of an innocent man. I've started to ask a very simple question that gets people really kind of riled up. Simple question, when I come across something that someone is saying as public opinion and framing it as an expert opinion, I'll simply ask, oh, thanks for sharing that thought with me. Can I ask you a question? Is this your opinion or is it a tested theory? The person will respond in one of two ways. If it's simply their opinion, I've found that they will start to aggressively share the reasons as to why it's the right answer, that I need to accept it and I need to believe it because it's the truth. But if it's a tested theory, which would be true, that's been proven true, I found the person will often just calmly share the data, share the process by which the truth was discovered, let me make my own decision. Another tactic of public opinion is gloom and doom voices. You know what I'm talking about when I say gloom and doom voices? Be careful of people that only proclaim that the world is going to hell. On the one hand, there is truth to what they are saying. We live in an age where evil seems to prevail. God does tell us that there will come a day when people will head to hell if they have not chosen to follow him. But there's also amazing things that are happening in our world and in the kingdom of God. Even as Jesus was sharing with his friends all that was to come, that his life was going to end, he wasn't going to be with them anymore, that there was going to be tribulations awaiting all the followers of Jesus, that the end times would come and the world would get more and more corrupt. Even as though Jesus was saying all of those things, he also shared with them great hope and excitement for the future. I'm going to prepare a place for you, he said. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. You are going to do things that are greater than even I did. Do not be afraid. I will always be with you. I found that the voices that are honest about the difficult realities we live in, while still proclaiming good news, are usually the ones that hold the truest information. The fourth final one of a fake news trap is your soundtracks. Now, soundtracks are those familiar tunes that we play in our head over and over until they become seared as truth in our lives. They're often difficult to identify and harder to fix because we've been listening to them for so long. It's burned in our long-term memory, or worse, we've been listening to them for so long, we might wonder if it's the Holy Spirit that's talking to us. This week on the podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about how to discern 
when the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Psalms 28 verse 9 is a verse that King David wrote and he says this, God, be your people's shepherd. Carry them forever. See, throughout David's writings, whether he was in a good season or whether he was in a difficult season, he loved to compare himself and you and me to sheep. And David knew a lot about sheep because it was his job to take care of them. So David would have known that sheep were an interesting animal. At first glance, they're cute. They're cuddly. They're a great animal to like put up in your kid's room or maybe a church nursery. Nothing is scary or violent about a sheep. Now, if you were with us on Christmas Eve, Pastor Jonathan and I brought some sheep onto the stage. And you know what? They performed really well at that time. What you didn't notice and what you didn't see was the rehearsal in which I had to drag those sheep onto this stage because they did not want to come where we were directing them to go. You see, sheep are stubborn. Sheep aren't easily convinced to do anything. Sheep wander off on their own. They put themselves in danger and then they rely on their shepherd to come and rescue them. Sheep left on their own are their very worst enemies because they routinely put themselves in danger by not remaining close to their shepherd. And friends, that is true about us. On our own, we create false narratives in our head that we are not aware of. And if we're not careful, we can start to build our lives around them. This shows up often in the area of shame. Thoughts like, God can never forgive me because of this, or I'm all alone, or God is silent when I pray. He's not listening to me, or the way that I feel now is going to be the way that I feel forever. Friends, those soundtracks are fake news. They are not true. And we have to do something that will shut them up. A great way to do it is simply to turn the channel by choosing to tune into the truth of what God is already saying about you. To do this, our team has put together a list of daily affirmations that you can speak over your life to break those soundtracks that currently are playing in your head. And so if you want to download that, you can do that online. There's a QR code that will send that to you. This is why memorizing scriptures is so very beneficial for our lives because the Holy Spirit can use it to use truth and combat the lies that we are currently believing and the lies that are swirling around in our heads. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit brings up memory the things that we have already read. This is why you should be in the word and you should be reading scripture. Scripture says God is for you. God is with you. That you can be patient and self-controlled and God can help you. You can be secure because you are loved. You do not need to be stuck in worry because Jesus offers a kind of peace that is different from the world's peace. Friends, we need to ask ourselves, what is the fake news that I am currently believing? And then after you've asked yourself those two questions, what do I know is true? What is the fake news that I am believing? There is one final question we need to ask ourselves. It's a question that King Solomon actually asked before those two mothers ever stood in front of his throne. You see, just before this amazing moment on display for all of Israel where Solomon discerned who that true mother was, Solomon had a significant interaction 
with God. And this interaction is actually the key to understanding how Solomon was able to solve an impossible problem. The Bible says that when Solomon was named king, we read that the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. And so Solomon asked, please give me a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. You see, Solomon's given this incredible opportunity, ask for anything that you want, and he chooses wisdom. I can't help but think that Solomon has grown up watching his father, King David, make big mistakes that lacked wisdom. Solomon would have grown up hearing the stories of King Saul and his lack of wisdom. And so it makes sense why Solomon might choose wisdom and a quality that he needed to be a good king. And the Bible says that God did just as Solomon had asked of him. God gave him a wise and discerning heart. And the Bible says that no king had never had a heart like that before. Friends, that is the key in discerning truth and fake information. We cannot do it on our own. We can ask questions, what do I know to be true? What fake news am I believing? But we, just like Solomon, actually need God to give us wisdom and a discerning heart so that we might be able to distinguish between right and wrong and good and evil, just as he can. Friends, God invites us to ask him this question. Psalms 119 tells us that God is the one who supplies all wisdom. James 1.5 says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God. He will give it to you. So how do we spot a fake? Well, we need to ask three simple questions. What do I know to be true? What fake news am I believing? And God, would you give me a discerning heart. As we close today, I want to pray with two groups of people. First, I want to pray for those who might identify with King Saul or King David. Maybe you've made some epic fails in your life. I know that I have. Maybe you've never lived a life that would look anything like obedience to God. But in this moment, as I was talking, maybe you felt pulled towards that type of life. I want you to know that's the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about that the Holy Spirit draws people to himself. And so if that's you, I'm going to pray for you. See, following Jesus is a daily choice. Just like David, we're going to make mistakes over and over. But as God works on our hearts and calls us to him, we're given opportunities every day to choose obedience to follow him. So if that's you, I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. But I want to pray for those of us who are followers of Jesus as well. Maybe today you're recognizing, I need some wisdom. Maybe there's some situations playing out in your room, in your life, where you don't know what to do. And you need God to help you discern what is the right way, what is the true information, and what is the fake information that you're being presented with. Maybe you'd admit that you're being pulled towards fake news. Maybe that's through the soundtracks. Maybe that's public opinion. Maybe you just need to change the channel. Adjust that tuner so that you start believing more about what God is saying about you than what about everything else that anyone else is saying about you. Maybe today you need to ask God that question. God, would you give me wisdom and a discerning heart so that I might discern right from wrong? Let me pray for you today. Father, I thank you that you are a good God and you give us good gifts, God. I think of uh, those today that 
have never had any type of relationship with you, God, obedient or not, that this is all new for them, God, and maybe they're identifying, hey, I'm kind of like that King Saul or that King David guy where I like my stuff, I like things my way, but maybe, Holy Spirit, they're feeling you draw themselves to you, God. In this moment, God, I pray that you would help them to follow you, God. We thank you that you are a, you are a king that sent his son to this world to die on a cross for all the things that we did that don't measure up to your standard, God. And so, God, I pray that you would help my friends to follow you. Help them to start that journey day after day, creating a heart that wants to obey you, God. Would you put that inside of them, God? And then I think of my friends who are followers of you. God, we recognize we are not perfect people. God, we, we don't measure up all the time. We hardly measure up ever, God. But I thank you that you are with us and that you guide us and you pull us back to yourself, God. And I think of my friends who maybe public opinion weighs heavy on their truth column, God. Maybe they would identify, hey, it feels like there's devouring wolves around me, God, and I want to discern your truth, God. Maybe they've been listening to, to fake news playing in their mind or soundtracks, God, or maybe they've created some echo chambers, God. Would you help them to identify what fake news it is that they've been believing, then would you help them take steps to combat that, God? Would you help us remind us each day, Holy Spirit, of what you say about us? We are loved. We are yours. You go with us. We are not alone, Father. We thank you that you are a good God that draws us to yourself. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.